0: Anthony Wright, and I'm your host today on Attunement. And my guest today is Trish Brarsma.
1: The essential work of riding into your mythic life is to encourage a radical, fundamental reorientation of ourselves to the world around us. Work with horses accomplishes this by giving us experiences that connect us with our higher selves. It energizes us for pursuing our greatest dreams and hopes. We come to treat everything as sentient. We participate in growing a membrane that is a kind of web embracing the earth, increasing in density and activating new consciousness. We understand how things fit together in one great story, a story of evolution of a new era. We join with other great specialists of spirit who are leading people into their full potential. We become pilgrims of the future, each here to bring some dream into reality by living our own journey to the fullest. The turtle tells me to remember to slow down and engage this deeper purpose of my partnership with horses.
0: A certified therapeutic riding instructor, Patricia Broersma founded and directed the Saddle Light Center, a nonprofit therapeutic riding program in San Antonio, Texas. She went on to reestablish, direct, and act as head instructor for Hope Equestrian Center in Ashland, Oregon. She has been a certified instructor with the North American Riding for the Handicapped N-A-R-H-A since 1997, and is president of the Equine Facilitated Mental Health Association. She lives in Ashland, Oregon. Welcome, Trish. Thank you. Trish, you have written a book called *Writing into Your Mythic Life, and you are a horse person. I am. And how long have you been working with horses?
1: As long as I can remember. At least I was playing with horses as a child, and I started working with horses uh, more professionally uh, as I left high school, I suppose. So,
0: writing into your mythic life, Mm-hmm. so you talk about, uh, in the book, about myth as a new aspect of self. Right. What do you mean by that?
1: Well, many people think of myth is having to do with a story uh, ancient story and it is partly that but the mythic aspect of the self is that part of the self that responds to those myths it's the one who is recognizes the great elements of the old stories and coded in those old stories are aspects of the human journey of what it means to be human and the mythic level of the self is that is that part of ourselves that is storied you might say it's the one that responds to the ancient stories it's it's the one that is visited by the um, gods and goddesses of the ancient stories and is given expression um, most clearly in those symbolic tales it 's a uh, based on my studies with Jean Houston, who really uh, understands the self as having four levels: the first being the physical sensory self and the second being the psychological historical self, which has to do with our you know the places we grew up, our personality patterns and then the third level of the self is the mythic level of the self, which has to do with um, that aspect that uh, relates symbolically to our world and it's you know it it has to do with um, some of the larger patterns that we live out of for instance um, I particularly relate to um, what some people think of as the Athena archetype and Carl Jung's work has has, um, made much of this the the mythic world familiar to us along with many others Uh, but he in particular in his work with archetypes uh, enabled us to understand that we we all live out of these vast larger patterns and um, And so we, uh, so myth and story allows us to tap into those larger patterns of the self and uh, so that we can live, you know, live that larger life that we uh, often lose sight of in our modern world.
0: Well, it's really easy for for our imagination to to get sucked up into the television and Right. Into advertising and, oh, you should buy that and get that because then you'll be all better. But you're not talking about that. You're talking about something very, very different than that.
1: Yeah, in fact, for you to mention the imagination is really key because um, the mythic life dwells in particular in the imagination. And in our modern world, often uh, we experience a kind of paucity of the imagination because of some of the things you mentioned And um, much of my book has to do with enabling us to claim the the rich treasure of our imaginations, uh, that part of our brain-mind system that has been compromised in many cases. And uh, much of it has to do with uh, allowing the parts of ourselves that that, um, have that rich imaginative aspect to be enhanced. Uh, and horses are really wonderful at um, allowing us to do that. They have their own uh, special sensitivities to the environment, to subtle energies in the environment because of their uh, being a prey animal they wouldn't have survived all these centuries if they hadn't developed those sensings and and so um, being around horses with that uh, with that respect for their um, their special sensitivities uh, then you can develop the same kind of sensitivity in learning to communicate with them, and much of my book has exercises in it to teach people how to do that. To well, I was this. looking at that, and mm-hmm. that,
0: that that looks real interesting because some of these books, you know, you read them and they say, well, you can you can do X or you can do Y, but they don't say how. Mm-hmm. And these uh, these exercises you've tested with with people you've taught,
1: right? Mm-hmm. Taught, uh especially with teenagers but with adults as well and um there uh we've actually done others as well but i put the most what i consider the most uh, powerful and sort of cornerstone exercises in the book so that others can actually experience them it's in in many cases you don't have to own a horse uh because again they're working with the imagination and developing that aspect but others um are you know, more powerful with a horse certainly because it relies on their their uh, special capabilities, their special sensitivities, their special intelligences, uh, and you know. So if you don't own a horse, you might go out and take a few lessons and <laughs> and uh, spend some time with a friend's horse or whatever, and uh, just have a chance to explore um, uh, what it is that. I mean, I I've I've often felt that uh, anyone who has thrilled to the sight of a horse, whether it's on television or in real life, they um, have stepped for a moment into their mythic life with that experience, that connection with a horse. And if they just blow on the embers of that excitement, that attraction to horses, then they'll find themselves stepping into their own mythic life. And so, you know, if someone doesn't have any interest at all in horses, then they might not find anything of value in this book. But, But you don't have to own a horse is the point. You just need to have feel some thrill of that um, mythic connection with a horse and you know it's because horses have been associated in our imagination with so many grand stories they're the um, the steed upon which uh, heroes went Mm -hmm. forth the carried uh, soldiers into battle and and so we associate them with grand tales Mm -hmm. uh... you know certainly the lord of the rings had uh... shadow facts as a key figure and um,
0: and Bill, the pack horse.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's, there's all, yeah, there's all kinds of st- wonderful stories where, where that honors the uh, mythic role of the horse in the human journey. They they partnered with us in so many ways, and it's my feeling that you know they may have started as a food source and then morphed into being, um, you know, a, for military purposes and then farming and more recently for sports purposes, but I really have experienced through my work in therapeutic riding that horses are stepping into an entirely different role as um, as one who is teaching us how to partner, how to uh, learn about deep partnership because yeah, ever since I saw the earth from space in 1969, I was seized by the vision and the possibility of uh, what it means to be one world. that we all have to learn to get along together if we are going to uh, make it in this beautiful blue planet that we are a part of and horses I feel like have stepped up uh, as part of that evolutionary call to um, allow us to learn how to get along together if we can learn to communicate with a horse cross species wise then we're going to learn the skills that we need to communicate with other people in other cultures you see that it's the same skills that we that that I've been teaching teenagers and adults through this work with horses that they can take into um, into other situations in their lives and then two, that connection with a horse um, often catapults people into what it means to be a global citizen and um, and that's where in my own experience where my uh, a riding in perfect attunement with horse uh, through uh, especially with Violet Emerald whose story I tell in the in the book she's kinda of her her life and death are kinda of the uh, cornerstones of the book but it was really through her my riding her and in, this, in her, the, her peak years um, when she was seven or eight years old where we would ride out on, into the fields uh, the polo fields that we had access to in San Antonio and um, uh, there there was just a perfect attunement that would happen over and over again where my slightest movement would be reflected in her shifting her balance her weight and it was it was an exhilarating experience and um, I truly see now looking back that it was from that attunement with her that I was I was uh, suddenly open to a, a mystical experience that was actually at the time kind of overwhelming and astonishing, but it was through that physical attunement with another being that my boundaries were being slowly sort of melted, <laughs> uh, you know, away. And so that, that at, at one point I, I suddenly experienced a, a real visionary and mystical experience. And, and so I think that ha- that 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 there is that potential for many people with horses, and that 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 kind of an experience happens to people of all in all kinds of situations. And I I believe that it's a an evolutionary leap that we're all taking to have that kind of experience of oneness with our world, with that which is outside of us normally, and that that's increasingly the kind of consciousness that we need to bring to bear in solving the challenges that we have before us
0: my goodness she was quite a teacher
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Violet Emerald was Um, and uh, we're going to have to take a short break here in just a moment Um, um, and I do want to talk with you after the break about attuning the self to subtle communication because that's one of the the major uh, chapters you have, major parts of the book. Um, And um, I'm Anthony Wright, and I'm your host today on Attunement. And we are talking with my guest Trish uh, Broersma, and she has written a book called Writing into Your Mythic Life. And how can people get a hold of you, Trish?
1: You can go to my website at trishbroersma.com, T-R-I-S-H-B-R-O-E-R-S-M-A.com. And there's contact information there.
0: Great. And um, so, well, we're going to take a short break, and we're going to be right back. All right. So stay tuned. I'm Anthony Wright, and I'm your host today on Attunement, and we're talking with my guest, Trish Brarsma. And Trish has written a book called Riding into Your Mythic Life, Transformational Adventures with the Horse. And before the break, Trish, you were talking to us about um, your equine teacher, Violet Emerald, and how you and she became more or less one being. Mm -hmm. She taught you a lot, you said, uh, about how to do that. And can you tell us more about attuning the self with subtle communication?
1: I think I learned a lot about that issue by working with teenagers. Uh, Most of the teens that I worked with were very... Uh, oriented towards communicating verbally, and they really hadn 't grasped what it meant to utilize their body language uh, to its f- fullest potential they They knew about such things, but they hadn 't really explored it. You know part of what it means to be a teenager is that your body 's suddenly doing a lot of things that you 're not used to, and so so often there 's you know Let's wait, you know uh and so uh working with horses and teenagers was was thrilling because uh we i could um we could um uh, after the initial work with a teenager with a horse of learning safety and basic communication skills in terms of leading the horse and uh, what side
0: to get on and right. how to put the saddle on and, the we bridle and...
1: yes right, the basic riding skills, we would teach that in the context of really listening to the horse, noticing how the horse was responding like in terms of his ears, moving the eye, the you know, just the, just the horse's body language. And, and, that, and also just uh, approaching the horse for grooming or saddling with an attitude of asking permission. So all of that was kind of a foundation for um, their experience with uh... trying to communicate more subtly with the horse and and learning the importance of their body language and um, so we it, it essentially would come down to uh... for instance an exercise of um, working in a round pen uh... thirty it's usually about thirty to fifty feet across circular pen and um... the um... The student would go into the arena with the horse first, though uh, just noticing how the state of their own body, just scanning their body, noticing how they felt, and then walking into the arena with the horse and just paying attention to what happens, whether the horse approaches them, whether the how they feel about approaching the horse, and then perhaps asking the horse to move on to walk or you know, to move away from them.
0: Because there's a certain horse etiquette. I mean, if you approach, then that's a different thing. And if the horse approaches, it's a different, it's it right. means different uh-huh. communication.
1: Right. And so they, they, they learn to start noticing in themselves how they're communicating, especially if they start to make an intentional request of the horse, for instance, that they want the horse to move around the arena um, uh, in a circle while they're standing in the middle. Uh, often, you know, they they are just totally not sure how to communicate that, even though I, I may have demonstrated it. But to use their arms, their body language, their just to uh, focus their energy uh, in, very intentionally on that request. And that's often a big animal. It's often a very it, right. They might be intimidated. They might be thinking about what they'd rather be doing at that moment, and the horse is going to respond to the subtext. That they that they're hand, you know standing there with they may be raising their arm and saying walk on but if they if they don't have their whole self behind it the horse is going to stand there and say yeah what else do you have to say and um, and it's often you, uh, you know once they once the once the student gets their whole self involved and their energy communicating very clearly their, with their body what they want that horse to do the horse will invariably cooperate and. Um, so it's often very, um, you know, it's often very revealing for them to, to reflect on why the horse isn't responding in the way that they wanted, Or, you know, all kinds of interactions are possible because the horse is responding with a much larger palette of uh, subtle awareness where the student is often does, you know, they, they need to learn that.
0: And as a culture, we've really lost that.
1: Right. In you know? most in many cases, especially with um, our preoccupation with technology, it it tends to um, allow, you know it tends to encourage us to lose track of that.
0: And it really is isolating. And mm-hmm. when you're in, in uh, interacting with a video game or something, you don't necessarily mm-hmm. interact uh, physically or emotionally with someone else. It's right. your experience uh, that's in that story, and it's just you know centered on you because mm-hmm. that's. The only one there, right? There's not another being standing over there, mm-hmm. uh, interacting with you.
1: Mm-hmm. So. You know, and I think there's there's something to be said for a lot of the imaginative um, um, game playing that that does go on, especially the ones where you're creating worlds, um, because there is a kind of interaction and, and a creative aspect to that that develops that can develop the imagination in really helpful ways, but it it it, it for it to uh, take the place of um, you know, interaction with other people and other beings is is certainly not something we'd want to forget. You
0: know? Yeah, you, you, you talk and you're, you say in your mind on page 51 and I wrote this town because it was quite profound. The language of the mind gives way to a language that lies in the heart and the body. Mm-hmm. We are often led into relationship uh, we are as I think it's we are as often led into relationship as often as we lead. and. Um, you have a story of uh, Madison in the mirror. Oh yeah! Can you tell us about Madison in the mirror?
1: <laughs> yeah, Madison was one. Um, uh, she was one of the horses in our our lesson program, and and uh, one of the early exercises uh, we did with the teenagers was to bring. Um, this was after they've, uh, you know, spent some time. Grooming the horse, leading horse, and learning basic safety procedures. And this
0: is a senior adventure camp. That yeah, you this put is on?
1: with the. Um, it, was, it was called Equus Libre. It was a program we did with at-risk teens. So we'd put the eight um, students, either girls or boys, in the arena with two of the, our trusted horses. With, the, and then uh, it was kind. Of, it was in a game format. The idea being, that they were to um, work with the horse to get the horse to go over a very low jump that's about a foot high called a cavaletti. and uh, but they couldn't touch the horse and they couldn't bribe the horse and, um, and so uh, they could also however ask uh, six questions of the volunteers and staff who were present and most of the time being teenagers they uh, r- hardly ever wanted to ask advice but um, this one particular time, um, it was a group of girls, and they, um, they spent a good bit of time uh, with uh, Madison. Uh, Gunner, the other horse, had within a minute or two gone over the, um, the uh, Cavaletti because being a willing and friendly guy, he was just happy to do pretty much what anybody asked. But Madison uh, walked up to the Cavaletti and basically just stood there. With her feet against it, and they tried all everything they could think of, and he, she just stared at him like, "Come on, you've got to do better than this." And basically, what what was happening was that these girls weren't willing to uh, cooperate with one another and come up with a team approach. Uh, they were um, they were all, they were all trying different things, and one girl was actually standing over to the side and saying, "Yeah, you're not going to get me involved in this." And it was only when they finally lined up four on one side of Madison's shoulder and four on the other side, and just kind of stood there with her and said, "Okay, come on." And then they all walked forward together, and she just walked right over. Well, um, it had taken it took them forty five minutes to to get down to that, and so um, we gathered in a circle, the staff and the students. There were about fifteen of us, and the horses were actually at the far end of the arena. They were. you know, nearly, you know, 60 or 80 feet away. But as we gathered, much to our surprise, Madison, the one who had been so uh, sort of challenging, she came walking over and actually walked into the circle. So she was standing shoulder to shoulder with the rest of us. And we thought, we were just amused. And we said, well, let's just let her stand here, you know. And so the the purpose of the circle was to kind of reflect on their experience. And so for maybe 10 minutes, we... um, we talked about uh, you know what had been the challenges, what did they learn, you know what you know what was it difficult you know what was, and so uh, finally uh, uh, I was concluding that session, and I began to tell them how Arabian horses in particular, had been bred to live in the desert with the families they were uh, nomadic, and that Arabian horses um, actually lived in the tent. And as I I said, the tents were often, you know, about the size of this circle that we're standing in. And as I said those words, Madison walked for the first time, she moved into the center of the circle. And we were all, it was as though she was saying, like this, you know. (laughs) And we were all just flabbergasted, you know, that she had been standing there hearing what we were saying. At a level that none of us had really been aware of and and it was of course thrilling for all of us to realize that um you know these horses uh, were attending to us in ways that we weren't necessarily even aware of and uh, Mm -hmm. yeah so that was that was a pretty special a a moment for many of us oh
0: yeah and and you have another story about that offers um, the difference between assertive partnership and aggression and it was um, how Dollar morphed into being known as Foxfire. Can you talk to us about Dollar, the horse?
1: Yeah. The difference between aggression and assertiveness is often something that my students especially needed to learn. Um,
0: And I I really respect the work of uh, Cesar Milan, the dog whisperer. He he talks about being the leader of the pack. And it's Mm -hmm. sort of like that, isn't it?
1: It is. It is. Uh, It's being uh, calm. He calls it calm and assertive, I believe, Mm -hmm. something like that and um and i years before i got into therapeutic writing it was one of my biz- biggest challenges with girls especially to uh enable them to be assertive with a horse and uh without them because they'd immediately say oh i'm being mean you know and i and and it, so they just wouldn't do it and so you know obviously they'd been taught not to be um, aggressive, but they'd gotten that mixed up with what it meant to be assertive. It, it was, you know, symptomatic of our culture. And so, anyway, um, d- a Dollar was a, a, a good example of um, how a horse um, uh, really taught us, you know, th- that difference. He, um, I was looking for an, a, a new horse for the lesson program, and uh, when I went to look at Dollar, I really... Uh, wasn't looking for a, a pony so much, and I thought, you know, I wasn't really sure why I decided to go and look at him, but uh, the minute I saw him trotting around the arena, I thought, this is the cutest pony, because uh, he looked like a miniature horse, unlike most ponies. Most ponies have different proportions than a stocky. horse. They're kind of stocky. You know, they, they're, they're not built the same as a horse, but this this guy, he was like a small horse, you know, and so that he was just real cute and he was palominos so he was kind of glamorous looking and um <laughs> so i um i um took him on approval because he um uh the entire time i was observing him he never walked once um and i got on his back and he wouldn't he was clearly so anxious and i was told by the horse trader that he belonged to a 10-year-old girl who was afraid of him and that um the trainer, who um, was a hunter-jumper trainer, had had basically, um, her approach had been to discipline him. And he clearly was not responding well because he was uh, one of the most no- nervous horses I'd seen. But there was something about him, that, there was just something about him that seemed sound as a dollar, as the guy said. <laughs> and so, um, um, you know, I, I proceeded over the next few weeks to... Uh, become assertive with him, but but not abusive. Not to um, to provide uh, to provide discipline for him, but to do it in a calm and easy manner. And um, it, it took several days before I could ever get him to walk. You know, and I just did it by just sitting calmly on his back and asking him to walk. You know, uh, and certainly, but I also had to keep him away from jumps because if there were jumps in the arena. But the minute I'd approach a jump, he'd just get really upset. And so this went on for, you know, a few weeks where I just calmly got him walking. and uh, But he still had, um, he was a little bit, you know, impish. And uh, he um, uh, had, a, especially when we started putting students on his back, he um, had a very bad habit of <laughs> uh, suddenly uh, veering into the middle, especially at a trot, and uh, stopping very suddenly. And usually... uh he, go flying, you know. Yeah, often the student would um, f- fall off because he'd do it so quickly. And... Um, uh, but he would never try that with an adult writer or a, a larger writer. He knew when he could get away with it. And so it became clear that uh, I had to teach the, the students to become more assertive with him. And and, and so it, it was wonderful to say, okay, you know, the instant he hints at, at um, pulling away from the group, that's... You've got to you know, check him back with the rain, and you have to urge him forward your legs and, and just get in your mind that he is going to move forward and insist on that with, you know, your legs, your voice, your body, and your being.
0: And, and with and, gentleness and patience. Right.
1: Though. And, and, and um, because, you know, most of the kids would like, you know, the minute he started to do that, they would screech and get scared. You know, these were like 7- and 8-year-old kids. Wow. Because he... That's he was little, and so it was great. You know, I mean, uh, these weren't beginning writers, of course. These were kids who had been writing for a few years, but um,
0: but they were small people. But they were
1: small, Uh and but they they, it wasn't beyond their uh, capacity uh, to do this because he was a little guy too, Mm -hmm. and um, so sure enough, it was an amazing uh, transformation. That you know, it it only took a few times before he got it that, oh, okay. I'm not going to be able to just get away with this, you know it's like okay you know and and he'd just settle as soon as he'd like test it he'd settle in okay, fine, you know he'd settle into the group, and he eventually um within a few months became our most popular mount even for beginners yeah. and and uh he was uh, a wonderful teacher of um for all of us uh, to see him oh and, you know another thing he did was he would um uh, if we were riding him in uh, around the barn area he would run into his stall and he even did that with me once and I couldn't stop him because he could run sideways you know and uh, <laughs> and uh, so we got so we you know okay what's a calm and assertive way to um, to handle this and so we just we just um, had someone lead him for maybe a year if we were out in the uh, barn area he w- we would just lead. Someone would be on his back, but he'd be led. And eventually, he just sort of gave it up. You know, it was like it wasn't a, a fun game anymore. He didn't need to be barn sour in such a dramatic way. Oh, that's. And he got over that. You know, he uh, he he really got over that and became a wonderful, bold and eager mount for kids. You know, he was so responsive. And once he decided he was going to play this game with us, you know and play with us instead of against us.
0: So then he got the name of Foxfire instead. Yeah,
1: so we we named, we named renamed him Foxfire. Uh-huh. And you know, just as a coda to that, I happened to, this was 15 years ago, I called uh, my trainer just recently. She'd gone out, lived out of the country and I finally contacted her and she says, you know what? I moved my horses to this new facility and you won't believe, but Foxfire is there, and I said, "You're kidding! This he must be 25 years old." She said, "I'm sure he is, but he is great. the The owner of the stable he's he is his ch- children's pony, and he looks just the same. And he's just a you know, I mean, he must. That's uh, so cool. Yeah, he's still around in San Antonio doing his job.
0: Doing his job. Yeah. Well, I got to do my job, and we have to take a short break. I'm Anthony Wright, and we are here with my guest Trish Broersma. And Trish has written, uh, written written a book and written a book writing into your mythic life. And how can people get a hold of you, Trish?
1: You can look at trishbroersma.com. That's T-R-I-S-H-B-R-O-E-R-S-M-A, all in word, trishbroersma.com. Well,
0: we're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back. So stay tuned. I'm Anthony Wright, and I'm your host today on Attunement. And we are talking with my guest, Trish Broersma, and Trish has written a book called Riding Into Your Mythic Life: Transformational Adventures with the Horse." Well, and before the break, Trish, we were talking about um, the uh, the horse named now named Foxfire, mm-hmm. who had uh, been a good teacher. Um, how long? What's the lifespan of a horse?
1: Twenty to thirty years. Is, really? Um, is uh, you know thirty is usually a really elderly horse equivalent to someone a person who'd be around 90. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Although I've seen 35-year-old horses. Um, My goodness. But that's unusual. Wow. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, one of the things that Foxfire had done quite well was, um, and you write in your book about an energy communication exercise, about focused coherent body communication, uh, communication from a distance, which is what the the girls were trying to do in bringing the horse over that low jump but also, what is mimesis and imitation, and what 's the difference mimesis uh, mimesis
1: yeah um, well <clears throat> it, it this is a skill that any uh, good professional actor has learned to master, and it it basically has to do with putting yourself into the body of um, whoever it is that you're um, wanting to. Basically, imitate, but it's uh, it's it's the difference between um, <clears throat> uh, it, enacting or repeating the movements of um, of uh, say you're going to imitate what I talk about in the book is imitating a cat because um, uh, a cat. Is, is uh, a natural predator of a horse, and if you're trying to get his attention, you can act like a cat. But if you're just sort of uh, pretending to be a cat, um, as um, <clears throat> like with a meow and maybe a, a, a hiss, and you know, a, a putting one hand up like a claw, a clawing, well, you know, the horse is going to notice that you're not really into it. Okay, and uh, Mimesis has to do with really stepping into the energy of the cat, like taking on your own catness, like what does it feel like deep down inside to be a cat, and so that it, it's like you take on that sinuous energy of the cat movement and and really become a cat as much as a human being can. And so it's it's calling on a deeper form of imagining it 's like taking it into your body and in your deeper imagination, so that um, when you hiss and rise up like a cat, your horse notices because they notice that shift in your energy that you 're that you 're not just pretending that you 've really taken on catness and that 's you know that's that's a that 's their predator that 's something they 're going to perk up their eyes are their ears are going to come forward and uh, and uh, snort, you know that sort of thing, <laughs> and yeah, you know it's it's not done with the idea of being um, really uh, going after them as a predator, but just to get their attention, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least that's the way um, that's the way a friend of mine uh, utilized it for her, because she had a horse who really was just being very. Uh, adolescent and boisterous and not listening to her at all even though she was a very experienced horse person and trainer this horse was just running around and bucking and just paying no attention to her at all for 20 or 30 minutes and um, that's a long time yeah it was a long time but this horse was young and exuberant and uh, she could not get the horse's attention and her trainer suggested you know be a cat and uh, it was only when she was able to really step into step into that nemesis. Of being the cat that she, um, all of a sudden, her horse stopped immediately, snorted like, "Oh, okay, <laughs> you got my attention." I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> and
0: then
1: the then the conversation was able to start. So it was like she was using that as a way to create the partnership with the horse. You know, the horse was really not at all interested in partnership at that point. And so, she, you know, it's like she was asking, saying, "Come on, let's let's uh, get on an equal ground here."
0: Before we began our interview, we we talked about Violet Emerald, your beloved teacher, mm-hmm. and and did did Violet Emerald teach you about hoarseness?
1: You know, she taught me a lot of things, and I, and I want to say a lot, I think all of my horses have taught me things about hoarseness, and I think um, the particular quality that she taught me, and frankly, still does. Mm-hmm. Um, is a kind of calm and grounded approach to things Um, that in some ways I feel like she's at my side even right now as we're speaking and has been since her death a few years ago. Um, But even before that, she had a way of, of, a calm way of approaching things. Not that she wouldn't shy at something on the trail or assert an opinion about things, but it was it was a, um, there was there was a uh, sort of welcoming, like in particular she had this unusual quality of um, eagerly heading away from the barn Um, on a trail ride for instance, and then slowing down when she came back, which she is really the only horse I've ever experienced that It's usually the
0: opposite. Right,
1: it's usually the opposite that a horse will be, uh, I mean it's it's, it's basically considered uh, part of their nature to be herd-bound, but with Emerald, even as a young horse, she would eagerly trot away from the barn, And, and I think um, I really appreciated that um, enthusiasm for life 's adventure mm-hmm. um, and uh, it always amused me that she would uh, slow down going back to the barn in fact it i it was actually very helpful one time when she was I was training her. Um, we were trotting along a trail out in the park, and we came upon a bridge, and it startled her and we were cantering actually, uh-huh. and she startled and jumped to the side, and I fell off. And so she went running off, and she was she was the way she was running off was back towards the um, barn um, and I knew that she was going to be crossing a busy street, and so I was really frightened. And I started running after her, which you wouldn't normally do, but I thought, you know. But the fact that she suddenly realized she was going back to the barn, she really didn't particularly like going to the barn, is <laughs> what saved it. I could see her stop and say, wait a minute, I don't want to go back to the barn. Right. And so in that, in that moment, I was able to approach her and catch her, you know.
0: But in a manner of speaking, it sounded like she was responding in embarrassment, actually, a little bit.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, she probably was, you know. So, so, um,
0: but we're talking about energy, communication, and the expanded self, and expanding the boundaries of your awareness. And, and um, can you talk to us ab- about that? About, uh, because she really invited you to do that.
1: Yes, um, she did. Um, again, I think many of the other horses as well taught me that. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it starts as simply as the fact that uh, the horse notices things out on a trail ride that I might not notice uh, in the environment you know the the particular way things look so that you know in order to ride wisely with my horse I had to start noticing those things as well it's as simple as that but it also um happens it, it would happen in such things as um, I would arrive after a um you know maybe a stressful meeting or whatever and and find that my ride wasn't going so well because Basically, she had picked up on what was what was going on for me—that I was, you know, maybe had a headache or I was upset—and and, and it, it, there was, it, it, you know, even though I was maybe outwardly doing much the same thing that I'd done the day before with her, the, the subtle differences in my demeanor were meaningful to her. And it, so it was like I needed to look inside and and notice how, in a subtle way. I was um, um, communicating something to her that I maybe didn 't intend, mm-hmm. but that that but that we had a, a communication on a much more um, profound level than i than I had been aware of you know, and um, that I had to attend to that you know
0: well, we have to attend to taking a short break i 'm sorry to say because this is a wonderful conversation. I appreciate <laughs> your you being my guest and i 'm talking with my guest Trish Brosma. And Trish has written a book called Riding Into Your Mythic Life, Transformational Adventures with the Horse. And how can people get a hold of you, Trish?
1: At trishbroersma.com. That's T-R-I-S-H-B-R-O-E-R-S-M-A.
0: Great. We'll take a short break, and we'll be right back. So stay tuned. I'm Anthony Wright, and I'm your host today on Attunement. And we are talking with my guest Trish Broersma. And Trish has written a book called Riding Into Your Mythic Life, Transformational Adventures with the Horse. And before the break, Trish, we were talking about um, attuning to a deeper level of communication um, with, with the horse. And one of the things that you speak to uh, in your book is about expanding the boundaries of awareness um, and also quantum non locality, about that we're connected uh, through intention in the work of, uh, this follows the work of Rupert Sheldrake. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk to us about that.
1: That's uh, you know that's that's um, one of the things that I find the most fascinating is how there does seem to be a maybe uh, some some parallel uh, universe out there or a um, uh, a level of um, communication level of reality that we all participate in. And I actually sometimes feel like the, um, that non-local world is, is sometimes being uh, supported by the Internet. It's given more form, more physical form. Um, that, but that it, 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 um, it exists in the world of subtle energy, that we um, communicate with one another in ways that are far beyond our normal reckoning. And uh, and we uh, are a part of one another's world in way, worlds in ways that we don't necessarily always keep in mind. And um, <clears throat> I, I I remember uh, one time uh, uh, someone even told me that I had been out of to- town for quite a while. At one point, and uh, my horse Bo, who is Emerald's uh, son was stabled at a nearby stable and, and they the next day when I came out they said, Did you come back into town around four o'clock yesterday afternoon? And I said, Well yeah, I did. But I wasn't able to get out to the barn. They says, I knew it. They said Bo started jumping around in his stall right about that time. And it was like we just knew that you were in the area. And um but in a, you know, more perhaps more touching story, it has to do with Emerald's um, uh, um, demise. Really, they, in the last years that I, I had Emerald, she had developed arthritis, quite severely, and I'd never really, in, uh, in I'd had to euthanize horses, but it was always in real clear circumstances where there was a, something acute, going on. But in her case it was unclear to me at what point would be humane to um, you know euthanize her with this arthritis that was becoming more and more severe and my veterinarian said you know you'll know He says don't worry about it you'll know and so I I just kind of rested in that you know I trusted that and and um, so um, one weekend I was up in Portland and I was with a friend who I was standing next to her, and she was getting ready to do a dance. And, if, and if someone that she hadn't even known, actually, uh, uh, and I didn't know her either, she approached uh, my friend and said, I, I thought you might like this drum for your your dance, and um, it's made out of a horse hide. And I, as she said those words, I was suddenly struck with this knowledge with such certainty that it was overwhelming that I that it was time for emerald to be euthanized and also that I needed to make a drum out of her hide which if anyone even an hour before had suggested to me I would have thought it was the most macabre suggestion in the world mm-hmm. but in this context the, it it came with such certainty that it would have been really inappropriate for me not to honor it.
0: And you're talking about a drum that's a shallow uh, shallow shell drum that's like a shaman's drum.
1: Mm-hmm. That's right. And uh, when I arrived home, uh, the next that evening—or no, it was the next day. Then in the evening, um, I uh, the next on Monday morning, um, I got a call before I was able to get out to Emerald's pasture, and the um, the uh, uh, gentleman was saying, you know, she's walking in a circle in an odd way, and so. Um, I I thought, no, 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 (laughs) I wasn't, I said, I, because I had figured I was going to have a week of special time with her, and so I drove out to the pasture and quickly realized that she had suffered a stroke sometime in the previous time, and I'm sure that that's what I had tuned into, you know, uh, even though I was, um, you know, several hundred miles away, some part of me knew that uh, it was her time, and certainly she was um, afraid and it was cold and rainy. It was in this time of the year, exactly this time of the year, in December, and um, I knew that 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 she needed to to go and um, and so um, the the last chapter of my book is is really goes into detail about the that that didn't quite turn out the way I had expected that experience. <clears throat> it, um,
0: I'm glad you weren't seriously hurt.
1: Yeah, I was, It she yeah ended up falling on me and so forth, but it. Uh, but nevertheless, there was that that communication between us that, um, you know, it is certainly evidence of that non-local reality that we often are not so much aware of.
0: You know, there's a part, because we're coming to the end of the show here, and there's a part of your book that I'd like to ask you to read.
1: Yeah, the message I got from Turtle. The essential work of writing into your mythic life is to encourage a radical, fundamental reorientation of ourselves to the world around us. Work with Horses accomplishes this by giving us experiences that connect us with our higher selves. It energizes us for pursuing our greatest dreams and hopes. We come to treat everything as sentient. We participate in growing a membrane that is a kind of web embracing the earth, increasing in density and activating new consciousness. We understand how things fit together in one great story, a story of evolution of a new era. We join with other great specialists of spirit who are leading people into their full potential. We become pilgrims of the future, each here to bring some dream into reality by living our own journey to the fullest. The turtle tells me to remember, to slow down and engage this deeper purpose of my partnership with horses. It's it's funny being a horse person that turtle started showing up in dreams and in real life as a, a guide for me, an animal guide. Animal ally,
0: and also I. I think it's real important, and to mention a couple things about the North American Writing for Handicapped Association and the Equine yes. Facilitated Mental Health Association. Yes. Can you tell us just in the last moment or two about yes. your work with them?
1: Yes. Well, uh, NARA is a um, association, nonprofit f- developed to provide standards of professionalism and safety for people in the therapeutic writing field. They accredit uh, programs for those standards and they also certify instructors and provide a lot of training for people in the field. The Equine Facilitated Mental Health Association is a section of NARA uh, and I just recently took over the presidency of that and um, our uh, mission is to... Congratulations! Thank you! (laughs) Our mission is to work with people who are in um, the fields of education or psychotherapy, or coaching, any field where they want to attend to the broader issues of body, mind, and spirit in that therapeutic writing setting.
0: Well, that's quite remarkable, and I'm so sorry to say we are out of time.
1: It <laughs> seems very brief, and yes. Oh, yes. But, um,
0: uh, Wonderful. My, Thank you. Yeah, You're most welcome, and it's been a real uh, uh, blessing to talk with you. Um, We're speaking with my guest, Trish Broersma, and Trish has written a book called Riding Into Your Mythic Life, uh, Transformational Adventures with the Horse. And how can people get a hold of you, Trish?
1: They can go to my website at trishbroersma.com, T-R-I-S-H-B-R-O-E-R-S-M-A.
0: Great. Well, thank you so much for being with us. I'm Anthony Wright, and I've been your host today on Attunement. And thanks for listening, and see you next time.